Hello everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. This is part two of our episodes about Borley Rectory. If you haven't listened to part one, quickly, quickly go back and do so now because this won't make any sense at all to you if you haven't heard part one. If you have heard part one, it was a little while ago, a few weeks since we put it out. So here's a bit of a recap. Borley Rectory, the most haunted house in England. We're about to enter a new stage of the rectory in this second and final episode. We've already heard about all the different kinds of hauntings that went on while the Bull family lived there. We've also heard about how Harry Price, psychic investigator, began to grow his interest in the rectory. And we'll hear a bit more from Mr. Harry Price, Pricey Prick, in this episode. What we're going to hear most about today is the Foister family and the strange goings-on and unfortunate scenarios that befell the Foisters during their time at the rectory. So, buckle in. Buckle in for more hauntings. Buckle in for quite a lot of (laughs) silly nonsense chit-chat and a bit of terrible mental arithmetic towards the end of the episode. And listen on to hear the final fate of Borley Rectory. Barney, would you like to describe the cocktail? Okay, I'm holding a cocktail. It's uh, sort of orangey. What's the name for this type of glass? I'm very bad with Bell glass? Looks a bit like an upturned bell, doesn't it? Like an upturned bell. Oh, an additional element. Yes, like a bell. Goes with the bells. Okay. So, uh, yeah, an upturned bell glass with a sort of a light orange-coloured liquid, (laughs) vaguely opaque. There appears to be (laughs) an orange egg-shaped object at the bottom of it, which (laughs) might be an M&M. Uh, there's a slice of lime as a garnish on the side, and over it, where you would have like an olive in a martini, Skull. is a, a kind of a hollow chocolate egg. I thought it was an olive at first. Oh, it's, actually, an olive uh, too. Yeah. it's not an olive. It's clearly not an olive. It's chocolate. So, Ruth, what is? So this I'll place? tell you about the drink. Mm-hmm. I found the recipe, and the original is called a pigu club. Pigu club. Pigu club. Yeah. Which apparently is where the cocktail was devised. And it's a Cointreau or orange liqueur. I thought it smells sort of chocolate orangey. I'll tell you my thought process. Mm. I call this cocktail Pebbles Down the Stairs. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. And I thought, what looks like pebbles? It's nearly Easter. I thought eggs. Yes. Get some eggs involved. (laughs) So the eggs I've got are orange, chocolate orange eggs. So on top, we've got a chocolate orange egg on a skewer. Is it a chocolate orange egg? Yeah. And then inside is another chocolate orange egg with a hard shell. Oh. So we've got two kinds of chocolate orange egg going on. Oh, that is that is strong. Because <laughs> of the booze. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm, I'm... Very nice. Of the I'm not booze. complaining. I've told you about the Cointreau. What else can you taste? Oh, it's a little skull on the end. Tequila? No. Not tequila. I think lime. There's I'm pretty bad at this. It's... There's lime. Gin. Gin, right. Yes. Mm. I said gin with like an open end, but there's no more other ingredients. <laughs> oh, right. So it's gin, lime juice and Cointreau. Yes! And so a chocolate it's, egg. It's just booze with some more booze in it. Booze, booze, booze and booze. booze more booze. Well, we chocolate on top. Perfect. And then lime. The only non-boozy is the slice of lime and the chocolate. Yeah. 
I was wondering what this thing was then I, on the end of the stick. Oh, bitters. 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 Chris is reminding me. Yes. Two kinds of bitters. Okay. What, Angostura oh. bitters? I put chocolate bitters in to go with the chocolate orange. It's a, it's a delight. So the chocolate orange has nothing to do with Borley, but Pebbles Down the Stairs mm. is my pebble egg theme. Before we get to the Fosters, the Foisters, the uh, next family next to live there. Foster's Lager. No. <laughs> oh, imagine. Oh. That was, imagine if that was my last dream. <laughs> my last dream. This family Six and they're called the Foisters. I just brought some Fosters. <laughs> what are your reflections so far on the case of Borley? The thing that's sticking with me, there seems something odd about these sisters. I think so. It's like, really I wouldn't good. enjoy living in a haunted house. Most people don't. And once I left, I wouldn't want to go back. So you wouldn't be why perpetually returning. Back? No, do, do, do I they, Do they love the fame? I don't know. Maybe they're... Well, it seems like they're Actually, they didn't mind it that much while they were there. They I, bored, I don't know. Bored. Nothing else to do. I, I don't know. I can't quite figure out what their deal is, to be honest. Mm. That's the thing that's sticking interesting, with me. Interesting. I, agree. I kind of agree. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and Harry Price, I'm thinking if he's not all he's cracked up to be, what is his angle? What's in it for him? I mean, is he just after personal Apart from fame, fame and, you know, a successful book deal or something, yeah. I guess? Yeah. But what then do you I, think you know, about the hauntings? I kind of think it's a crock of crap. But... <laughs> But I don't. To put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there might have just been a nun outside. It's a rectory, you know. A sad might have just nun. been an actual nun, yeah. I feel like people are getting get caught up in the whole thing. Yes. They like, like, like whipped up into mm. a frenzy, aren't they? Like, yeah. Having said that, Barney, you tell us your dad heard some bumps and thumps at his He did, rectory, yeah, pretty so... much exactly the same. Yeah. And one of the weird facts of this uh, rectory was that they had a coffin shaped room. Oh, mm. nice! Yeah. What the bedroom? Of room? It's a bedroom which was Imagine shaped like that. a coffin. What? That's yeah, insane. yeah, yeah. Pretty weird. Who slept in there? Uh, I think my auntie did. When really? She was my auntie Faye, I think slept in there. So did they? They moved in, and then at some point they were like, "Hang on, oh, this yeah. room is a bloody coffin shape." Yeah, they were there for a, a, not his entire childhood, and then I think they moved to it was a different place, also in the village, which didn't appear to be haunted at all. But uh, yes, yeah, my granddad was a vicar, so they yeah. lived in. Mm. They got a big rectory. As part of the job, so uh, get the yeah, rectory. Yeah, so they grew up in a massive, massive yeah. house. My grand used to live in a house mm. in Herefordshire. Where did they had this like massive toilet room? Right, a massive toilet. Well, it was like the room was like flipping huge, and it kind of reminded me of like the inside of a, a ship. Like, you know, right. like, like, like uh, and then the, the toilet was like a throne. <laughs> you had to like walk uh, up some steps yeah, to get to it. Yeah, it's insane. Ooh, like what that. else was in the room? Nothing. Just a bloody massive. <laughs> just, just a toilet in the middle of the room. It was weird, in the middle weird. of the room, you had to walk miles to get up the stairs to get on the toilet. How many uh, stairs? I think at least two. Too 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 many. But why have any stairs? Wooden planking. The only other thing I can remember was like, say we're looking at the toilet from the door, right? (laughs) To the right of the actual toilet, there was a a window looking down into like the kind of a shop things or that down. Mm. Like like uh, it was very weird. So the people in the shop could look back up. No, it was an abandoned shop. Sorry. Oh, well, that's even worse. (laughs) A haunted shop. What a strange room. I know, very strange. I said that horrible toilet paper, which was like oh. Oh, like you used to get in school. Oh, my God. Oh, so anyway, so. I thought the coffin room wasn't going to be top, but now we hear about this toilet on a throne. Well, in I a do big have another room. interesting <laughs> sidebar. It's, it's sort of unrelated, but sort of related. The village, uh, Ickham, in Canterbury. Mm. I love that name. Paul Hollywood from the base oh. lives in the, the next Nida. village along. Yeah, the Nida. I, you, funnily enough, I was like, I was thinking of his yeah, needing yeah. hands. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Paul Hollywood. Needing other, bread. Well, that's not all he needed. He, uh, <laughs> he, he needed a good. Yeah, he uh, met a, a barmaid at the pub. The king, I think it's Hold King on. William is, is in this true? Yeah, this is true. Yeah, he uh, ended his marriage for a, barmaid? a young barmaid from the uh, the pub you in Ickham. Yeah, 
Like, I not heard only is the it the end scene of, of this a... marriage for Lisa Faulkner from uh, no, Celebrity Bake Off. No, no, that really? Was, that was um, Tarode. Oh, that was Tarode. Really? really? That was Tarode. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mistake. His, his lip, it's a real deep cleft on it between his nose it's, and his lip. It's filtrum. And it, and is, that, is that what it's called? That's the area there. I was yeah. thinking it's sore. Really? It's very yeah. deep, isn't it? Like, yeah. collect yeah, crumbs. You're eating a sandwich. Sorry, so, I yeah. confused my TV chefs. Yes. We've gone wow. right off topic. So Brad Boy, he met a lady in yeah. the pub. We might later give Based him a the code Duke name. William. Brad Boy. So no, the code name will be like um, Bob, uh, Bob Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially libelous to me. Right. Oh, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. Well, no, I think it's a matter of, of public record. I, think I don't was, think you know, Bob Los Angeles will fool anyone. <laughs> Jimmy Bollywood. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about again? I've well, no idea. Eventually, we'll get back to balling. <laughs> coffins, Co- yes. r- coffin-shaped room in the baby. Yeah, and weirdly, slight. Okay, the last thing I'm going to say about the rectory is many, many years later, the rectory became an old people's home, oh. and my grand spent her last couple of years back in the rectory. What? As what a resident. As a re- no, uh, well, she was like, she, that's my... Oh, sorry, so she was... She was a, an adult. A, yeah, yeah. An adult. Oh, yeah. Also, children. wasn't there some connection with the Vicar of Stiffkey? Yes. What my granddad knew... The Vicar of Stiffkey is coming to town. <laughs> yeah, my granddad knew the Vicar of Stiffkey. We've had a lot of callbacks to previous episodes Stiff today. Is, yes, is yeah. Uh, yeah, so my grand ended up in the old people's home, which was the... Uh, where she used to live? Which where she... And they gave mad. her the room, which was her old bedroom. So she must... Yeah, I've been going nuts at that because no, she was happy. She wanted like, it. Hold on, what, she wants what year it. is it? Am I like that was Ethel Bull's dream? Probably that yeah. someone yeah. let her go she back to live there. Yeah, exactly. right. I never yeah. wanted to leave in the first place. Do, yeah, mm. she must have regaled them all with stories of the oh, old she did. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's really nice to be able to go into this building, like after having heard so much about it. Yeah, like, I bet. My and see all those. And, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was really nice actually. Yeah. Anyway, so so what was happening? So a new family is about to enter the rectory, and this is the Foisters. Smith. I realise it sounds like I'm a gangster because I'm saying Foister. They got together. It, it is, was Foyster. It is spelt Foyster. <laughs> okay. So the the Foyster family arrived at Bully Rectory <laughs> in October 1930, and this was to begin a five year period of unprecedented paranormal activity. More, more than the first night of. More. But, uh, Reaching um, levels of violence price. never seen here before. Oh. What? The Foysters were the Reverend Lionel Foyster. A scholar of Pembroke College, Cambridge. Yes. <laughs> he was around 52 years old and was actually a cousin of the Bull family. No. Mm-hmm. So he met with a bit more favour. His wife, Marianne, she was some 20 years younger. <gasps> Very much like my granddad, the vicar. When they got married, my gran was 18 and my granddad was 42. Ah. What the? And wow. a vicar. So let that sink in. How did she find the vicar's wife life? Uh, she, she, she was all right with yeah, She had a good time, got a big house. Well, Marianne got a big house. Unfortunately, it was full of ghosts and oh, Shit, Yeah, <laughs> she hated it. They also had a two-year-old adopted daughter. And she's in some accounts called Adelaide, but I think that's a made-up name. So Andrew Clark in The Bones of Borley says of the couple. I love Bones of Borley. It's a good name. He says, when they moved in, Lionel was already somewhat unwell and his health only declined in the following years. Director. Yes. But Marianne, Clark says, was feminine, pretty, extrovert, lively. I like the sound of her. My kind of gal. Yeah. It was was Marianne who became the focal point for the attention of the spirits. Because they love a good saucy lady. Maybe. Or to put it another way, many of the unlikely events that occurred over the next five years 
had Marianne at their heart. Mm. Initially, the Foisters experienced some of the usual stuff. Mm -hmm. The ringing bells continued, footsteps pattering around the house, items disappearing and reappearing, moving around different things would like appear in different rooms, that kind of thing. Marianne said she would put items down and then turn away just for a moment and then they would disappear. Mm. A bracelet on one occasion, she said she put next to the sink, turned away for a moment to look in the mirror and she looked back and the bracelet was gone. I mean, I can think of worse things. I feel like Mm. I do this, though. I've I've definitely... (laughs) Where I'm like, I thought, I've just... Sean, I put this here. I put it right right there a minute ago. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Aging, it makes me think <laughs> of in um, Peep Show when Mark Corrigan says he's like about Sophie. He's like, "I'll put her handbag in the fridge and, and tell her she's <laughs> going mad." I was thinking a bit where Jeremy yeah. put the toothbrush up his bum. <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Oh, the yeah. ghosts were not, uh, if I know so, correctly, yeah, you, putting yeah. anything up anyone's bum. Reverend Foister would come into rooms and he'd find piles of books arranged in odd places. Like he'd go into the library and all the books would be off the shelves and piled up. In... Messed up with his whole alphabetical system. <laughs> the decimal system. He's like, don't fuck with my Jewish decimal system. It was a nightmare for him. Another time he came into the hall and all the pictures were taken off the walls and laid face down on the Whoa. floor. Ooh. That does sound weird. Unless someone's like painting, like painting the walls or something. Yeah, but you'd know, it. you'd remember that, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, why yeah. are the paintings on the floor? Oh, yeah, I've got these painters in. <laughs> Marianne claimed on several occasions to have seen the ghost of a man in the stairway next to the blue room. She later saw a photograph of Harry Bull oh. and identified him as the spirit. Why is Bull hanging around? On another occasion... Reverend Foister heard a cry and turned to see Marianne running out of the blue room with blood running from a cut under her eye. No! Something had struck her in the face. The Reverend catalogued everything in diaries that he kept, very detailed diaries during his years mm-hmm. at the rectory. And he later shared these diaries with Harry Price and they're included in you. the most haunted house in England. Price visited the rectory again while the Foister lived there. And again experienced some odd things. One of which I thought would be especially annoying. He, and also gives an insight to Harry Price, he turned up there to visit the Foisters and he was like, I'd brought two really nice bottles of wine with me <laughs> from, okay. from London. Mm. Uh, yeah, a very nice race. bottle of red and a very nice bottle of white. And he said that they sat down to drink the wine and he uncorked the wine and he was like... Basically, reading into it, he was like, look at me, I'm a fancy London man. It's a cheeky mellow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And he said that uh, he poured the wine, the red wine, and it was black as ink. Shit. I think he's bought a shit bottle of wine. The wine was as black as ink. It might have been quite dark there as well. It seems like they didn't have proper lighting or anything. He cheaped it and basically basically was like, oh, I bought a really expensive bottle of wine. I mean, red wine is quite dark, isn't it, anyway? I mean, that's normal. And then they poured the white wine. And And Marianne announced, oh, it smells like eau de cologne. (laughs) And (laughs) Harry Price ascertained someone. Classic Marianne. Classic Marianne. But someone had poured ink from a nearby table into the red wine and eau de cologne into the white wine. So there was no That's ruining his fancy wine. wine. He said the spirits had basically spoiled his wines. So Harry Price had some further experiences when the Forsters lived there. Things began to get more violent. Oh, this doesn't sound good. And do you remember earlier I said it wasn't just the residents. There were a lot of reports. Yeah, yeah. So some of these reports come from Sir George and Lady Whitehouse. They lived in Sudbury. And they were friends of the Bulls and then later befriended the Foisters. So the White Houses sometimes stayed at the rectory 
along with their nephew Edwin. Or sometimes they invited the Foisters to stay with them if things at the rectory became too crazy. I bet they did. Mm. So they, break, yeah. they wrote their own accounts of what went on when they were staying at the rectory. So again, this is another report, yeah. another account. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit keys in the bowl, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Whitehouse later told Harry Price that during a stay in May 1931, the bells began to ring. Ding, ding. Marianne said to her, we are in for a bad time tonight. It generally starts like that. The same night, the four of them smelt something odd and upstairs found a smouldering spot in the middle of a bedroom skirting board. It was what? on. It was fire? beginning to go on fire. Oh, my God. What? So what did, did they put it out? They raced to get water, but as they raced, flints fell from the ceiling. What? Oh, my God. Three flints fell into the room That's just going to make the fire worse, isn't it? George Whitehouse recorded a night during one of his stays when he said that Marianne was thrown out of her bed three times, that the others would suddenly hear a cry and they'd race to Marianne's room. And she was out. And she was being flung from the bed and the mattress would be on top of her and what? all the bedclothes would and be all over pretty, the place. Yeah. You'll notice that Marianne and Lionel were not but sharing a room. Different beds, yes. Uh. Edwin Whitehouse, who was the nephew of the Whitehouses, he was apparently a rather obsessive and disturbed young man. Oh, no. um, and he spent a lot of time at the rectory and became... He chucked in- the woman out of bed. Well, he became <laughs> increasingly... An obsessed young man. Increasingly invested in the stories of the ghosts. And later there were suggestions that he perhaps had something yeah, to do right. with some of the things I'm that went up on. Bit, as you, yeah. okay. And eventually Lady Whitehouse forbid Edwin to go to the rectory yeah. anymore because she said he ba- he wasn't very well and she said it's not it it's making perfect. you worse basically right. going to the house and experience you know yeah, yeah. So a lot being of people involved seem to have in... like a kind of a unhealthy kind of fixation on yeah. the house don't they but rather maybe, than maybe like if they are unhealthy themselves yeah, yeah rather than like just yeah. getting staying away from it yeah, it seems yeah, like, doesn't it has it, like yeah. a weird but then the question of cause and cause and effect comes doesn't it yeah are you seeing this stuff because you are not exactly in the right is it drawing you to it yeah yeah. During the time of the Foisters, there was also a new phenomena never seen before, not experienced by any of the bulls or any of their servants. And this was the mysterious writing that appeared all around the house. Mm-hmm. Have you heard tell of this writing in your knowledge? No, I don't really remember anything about writing. No. What, on walls? On walls, on scraps of paper. Well, what was it written in? It was written in a graphite pencil. Oh, it sounds like someone writing it, doesn't it? <laughs> like, like... It just sounds like someone's ri- doing it. Yeah. <laughs> So this was a new phenomenon when the Foisters lived there. I they blame started, Edwin. You think Edwin's up yes. to it? Maybe. They started to find scraps of paper and also writing on the walls themselves. And this, they would, Price says that they would go and look at the walls and they would, one day a wall would be clear and the next day they would find Well, that's what happens scribbles. when you write on a wall. <laughs> I mean, like, like, you know, it's clear before you write on it's it. It's true, it's yeah. true. Price suggests that although he has seen spirit writing before in seances, which is when... You, you know, on a bit of paper, the Someone spirit, exactly. Hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, guiding you. He says he had never seen something, the nature of the scribbles at Borley. Some was meaningless scribbles. Was, Some... least, was one of them a cock of balls? <laughs> come First on. thing I'm going to do as a ghost is just like draw, <laughs> a, cock and draw a cock of balls on the yeah, wall. <laughs> Once when it snowed loads in Cambridge, I um, went by a field and I got <laughs> so... on a field and made a massive cock and balls with my feet. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it showed up on Google Maps or Google Street oh, So childish. Oh, I know. When I look back at it, so I drew it quite big, as big as I could with my feet, and I look back and I've made scuffle. it a really bendy banana cock. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, if you if you listen to um, the, the naysayers, we wouldn't be able to have a bendy banana cop because EU, <laughs> EU would have taken it away. Exactly. Um, That's the whole reason I yeah. voted Brexit. Exactly. I'm interested Ooh. that Barney just mentioned a disease which presumably gives you a bendy banana cop. Yeah, Peyronie's disease. It's like uh, inflammation of the fascia of the wang. And um, uh... does it go? But no. So no. Astonishingly, mm. none of the scribbles were cock and balls. But what sometimes the scribbles did reveal was the letter M. Oh. Sometimes the full name Marianne uh, would be written. I was going to say Margaret, I don't know why. Sometimes they would say, Marianne, get help. It seemed like the spirits were trying to attract her attention and sometimes they would write and then she would write underneath. There's... She would write back? So she wrote back and okay. she would write, I can't understand, please explain. Yeah. And she would hope... And also stop throwing me out of bed, please. <laughs> And of course, the others would encourage her and they'd be like, Marianne, write back to the ghost, try and work out what they want. And then at one point, it seemed like the ghosts were suggesting they wanted like a Catholic mass to be held. Some have suggested that the idea of the, the kind of Catholic link yeah. it holds up to the story about the nun, that it was yes. something to yes. do with the, the nun being yeah. there in the past, the ghost of the nun. During the Foister's Day, actually, we don't hear much of the nun or the coachman. It's, no. all, the, it's all this new yeah, stuff. It's, 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 it's internal to the house, all of it. Yeah, yeah. all going Whereas on inside the house. house. Yeah, no one's seen the, yeah. the guy on the lawn for a no. while or anything, have they? It seems to have all taken a different... All... If you remember... S.H. Glanville, who wrote us a nice summary. Now, hold on, I can't remember what was his... He wrote an essay about Borley. Glanville notes that a particularly strange thing about the writing that appeared to appear spontaneously upon the walls was the height at which it appeared, he said, from four feet three inches above the floor to four feet eight inches at highest. Okay. He said, this is very low for an adult to be writing. Maybe it's the weird guy from the lawn. But I thought... An adult can just go on their knees and do some writing. It's like lean down and write. I thought, Glanville, you're supposed to be like a a sensible man. I don't think this is the most astonishing thing thing about the writing. The thing is, humans have knees. We've got knees, haven't we? Mind you, it probably wasn't carpeted, though, was it? So it would have been tough on the knees. Yeah, yeah. There's one further character that we should talk about. Mm -hmm. Harry Price does not mention him one single time. What? But later writers about Borley do talk about him. And this is a man called Frank Peerless. Frank Peerless was a lodger. He lived at the house during the Foister's tenancy and it later transpired that Marianne and Frank Peerless had been having a sexual relationship. Andrew Clark describes him as an unpleasant and abusive man. What? Okay. A cockney. Ah. Not clear if those are related. (laughs) Uh, And he (laughs) describes the relationship between Marianne and Frank Peerless as a physical but loveless one. Lust. And if we think of Marianne's circumstance at the time, she was living in this... Oh, she was a young lady, wasn't she? Yeah. She was, like, much younger. Lionel was very ill. His physical health, even, you know, for his age, was very bad. Like Lady Chatterley's lover or something. He was in... He got was reduced to a wheelchair Mm. much of the time. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have very much money. The house was basically falling apart around Mm. them. Marianne was not really having... I'm not... You know. yeah, she probably wasn't having much fun, was she? No. I think she was in a difficult place. Sorry, who was who this she guy that she was having an affair with? Frank, Frank Peerless. But who, who, who was he? In a the... lodger. He was not there in the kind of original narrative of Borley that emerged because it, it in was... Harry Price's story. But later, researchers said it... more about Frank Peerless. Actually, it transpired that his presence in the house undermined a lot of the ghostly goings on. Right. Because Marianne later admitted that her and Frank had sometimes 
you fabricated yes. ghostly. Oh, uh, yes, sneaking around late at yeah. night. Oh, yes. that, 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 that thumping you heard was exactly. Yeah. F- <laughs> it was on a headboard banging <laughs> against the it wall repeatedly. The footsteps. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I the screams think... of "Oh God!" Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Was it definitely the nun? Yeah. It was the nun. She... <laughs> and I think that maybe Frank Peerless just did some of it for fun. Maybe Edwin isn't... Whitehouse was there as well. You yeah, know, they watching. were doing these pranks. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the story, once you actually look into yeah. the personal relationships yeah. and the it's psychology like, it, it, of the yeah. people. You have to take into more... account, don't you? Yeah. 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 Now we can hear about the end of the Foister's time at Borley. Please. In 1935, Lionel Foister's health had deteriorated uh, further. Nuts. The couple were struggling financially. It probably wasn't helping no. Lionel's physical health. No. It all became too much after five years. So Lionel retired... And the couple left the rectory. Andrew Clark reports that for a time, Marianne actually went to live with Frank Peerless in London. Oh. But this was a miserable time for her. Oh, no. Um, She returned to her husband to look after him. But at this point, it was basically the relationship of a a carer and a a patient. And he died not too long after. After they retired, the ecclesiastical authorities decided... Maybe we won't send anyone else to live at Bawley. <laughs> yeah, this, this is going to doesn't bit, go well for it's, anyone. It's not a great it? place. It's not great. So they decided that it should be permanently closed and they merged the parish of Bawley with the parish next door of Liston. So the rector of Liston would basically take on the job of Bawley and Liston. Marianne was tracked down some years later by researchers into the Bawley because people were still fascinated yeah. by the case. Bear in mind that Harry Price's book came out in 1940. So yeah. that leads yeah. to a kind of renewed interest in but, it. Yeah, like, so like if we're talking about the 70s for the yeah. Osborne books or whatever, yeah, that's still, like, that's still, still like had a, its place a in the culture, didn't it? Really? Like, yeah. amount of years that people are really yeah. interested in this. So Marianne was tracked down by researchers later and in the interviews she admitted that yeah. she, Frank Peerless and other friends had faked oh, or made up some of the happenings that went on in the house this is very sad. So she also claimed that the diaries her husband had kept that were later used as evidence, she said actually he, even Lionel, knew that not all of that was true and he was keeping them as a kind of, he was planning to write a book oh, about right. Borley. It's like Amityville Horror kind of thing. Yeah, so he was. He thought he... So he embellished it a little bit. Like, he embellished oh, and he was planning no. to use those as the basis for a book. But did he really? I don't know. And she said that Harry Price had gained his trust... Mm. And that Lionel had handed all the diaries over to Harry Price in the hope that Harry Price would help him. And then Harry Price had basically published his own book on Borley using the diaries. So basically, we just have Harry Price's story, ultimately. Yeah, and 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 Marianne... She she doesn't get anything out of it because... Well, no, and so Marianne said basically Harry Price stole... A lot of what Lionel was hoping to publish himself and included in his own book on Borley. Some accounts later were very harsh on Marianne because mm. obviously she did say actually we did fake some of it and I made some of it up. Oh, but fair enough. I don't I mean, feel I don't feel too poorly no, th- no. towards her because I think her situation was was hard. Yeah. So that's the Foisters. The rectory's being closed. After the Foisters left, this was when Price rented the house for a year. So what I'm thinking is that the plumbing never got updated. <laughs> No, I think... It, never, it didn't ever get updated, I think then. between the Smiths and the Foisters, okay, they did okay, improve good. the plumbing. I like to hear this. It's like the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. They, did, they did improve it, but I, don't, I, don't, I just think it was a big damp, drafty, they, they, rubbish they, they house. They didn't have storage heaters, though, did they? 
No central heating. No, no. That wouldn't have been invented yet, would it? After the foisters left, that's when Price rented the house between 1937 and 1938. As I say, he didn't live there. He hardly went there. He hired these observers to go in and keep records of everything that they saw. And he used... Much of that in his later book. The, 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 the most the haunted house. They, in they had gathered while they were there, yes. not him. So some of them. He picks and chooses. Glanville, he took his son and they spent some time there observing. And he said he saw, did hear some strange noises. <laughs> there were some strange kind of cold spots around the house. But he said actually one of the weirdest things that he encountered, which is by no means necessarily paranormal, was that they went out into the grounds one day. And the cat cemetery area, someone had dug like a massive hole in the middle of the well, yeah, cat cemetery. Did, yeah, 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 good, oh, good, sure, point, okay. good point. And he just said it was because they would basically do the rounds every day, <coughs> like patrol, mm-hmm. look for things that had changed or is anything out of the ordinary. And he said they could never work out why or who had dug, that up. dug yeah. this huge hole. Yeah. But that's not supernatural, no, but it's any, a strange thing. Could have been a sinkhole. <laughs> oh. Were those happening? That seems like a fairly modern phenomenon. So it's probably just like a local was fucking with them or something. Right. And what about the house itself? What became of Borley Rectory? A blaze! Oh, shit. A great blaze. How else does a horror film end? Mm. A blaze. But with Every the, hammer film everything ends. Everything goes on fire. The hammer, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're ten minutes before the end yeah. of the film. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. Oh, it's a blaze. Yeah. Everything's, Every on fire. Film. Everything's, like, everything's on fire. Everything's on fire. The building's on fire at the end. Credits. <laughs> Peter roll. Cushing. Yeah, yeah. Credits roll yes. over the flame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So, extraordinarily mm. enough, mm. this is what happened to Borley. So, in 1939, it went on fire. Did Price do it? No, Price didn't do it. So, they don't really know... One thing I read said that as someone that was actually about to take the tenancy on moved in and they started the fire by mistake. But then another thing I read said that an insurance company looked into it and they concluded it was started deliberately. Uh, so maybe it was just job. that the owners uh, after all this time were like, fucking hell, we've got this No one's going to want to live here, just burn it down. <laughs> this ridiculous house. Yeah, yeah. So Borley Burns and locals burn, later said they saw the nun and they saw figures. Well, wait, when it was burning? In the no. flames as it burned. Wow. The house was severely damaged, of course, and it was demolished a few years later. So nobody lived so, at Borley again. So mm-hmm. Borley is no more now. Borley is no more. No Morley. But apparently the strange occurrences continued, continued? at the church <sighs> over the road. Hold yes, on. I so, had heard that. Yes, so, so the ghosts moved also. over the road. Maybe. That's the story of Borley. So right. built in 1862, burned down in 1939. You've got 130 years and mm. that house became known as the most haunted building in England. I know what you're saying about the foisters and mm. the stuff they were sort of embellishing a bit, but it still doesn't necessarily explain everything that happened before them as well, doesn't it? Whether you think or not that there were ghosts or not ghosts or who did what or whatever, but I well, think it's... just it's, the time, yeah. It's mm. just, I think it's such a fascinating, fascinating yeah, yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because totally. I think a lot of it probably is to do with human psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, people yeah. in difficult circumstances deliberately or not deliberately... Mm. Just projecting, yeah, yeah, projecting yeah, 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 strange yeah, yeah. things. It sounds sort of like Harry Price's viewpoint has sort of dominated exactly like, the, yeah so for a long the time he, he wanted it like, to happen the he, he wa- view as like mostly seems to come from him but it's very pervasive in the kind of cultural memory yeah. now the mm. idea of Borley as this like when we were like youngsters that book that came out in the 70s yeah, yeah. it was like had a gospel whole, had a whole <laughs> yes page, it was it really was whole yeah. page on it like, as though it was like totally a true thing mm. like you know 
nowhere else had like taken over its no. title. So nowhere I, else I don't like, know what would now be being... the most haunted such than such in anything. I don't know. You'd have to. Watch so yeah, I think Morley continues its reign in yeah. the in the imagination yeah, of the yeah. nation. As what is on the site now? Do we know? What, um, what? I think <laughs> um, typically, yeah. I think they. Yeah. <laughs> I think they like built some flats. Yeah, oh, yeah. inevitably. Yeah, but I, don't, I haven't. Prime heard... <laughs> commuter area, probably isn't it? I haven't yeah. heard any reports of hauntings from the flats. From but the as flat, I say, yeah. like... the the church that was there before Borley Rectory mm. was built. And that is still there now. Yeah. That church now, they have done some investigations into the church and oh, okay. um, possible psychic goings on. That's the end of the story, I think. Can I should, uh, read the, the little bit from uh, this book? Yes, please. This is a book which I'm lending you guys. It's called There is a Graveyard that Dwells in Man. It's a compendium of arcane fiction compiled by the artist and musician David Tibet from the group Current 93, who you may know. And it's described as an arcane compendium of strange fiction and hallucinatory tales. So David Tibet talking about he is one of the collectors of uh, ephemera from uh, Borley Rectory. So I'll just read a bit of this. Uh, so now when I look at the walls of my study on which hang the paintings of Borley Rectory and of Borley Church, painted by the Reverend Harry Bull, or at the furniture on which he has carved his name and the legend Borley Rectory Rev H Bull, capitals, and a cross or the cheap metal tin on which he has engraved the motto Memento Mori, with a death's head and a crow and cross, or the holographed notes he has left regarding two experiences he had of the ghostly sad nun who haunted the rectory, or listen to the plaintive melody that comes from the music box that he owned. I am there in the rectory with him, and the rainbow is real, and the rectory is the real. I open a box Harry owned and wonder what made him place in it a small number of animal bones in a small oval tin. I have several of his pocket watches, on all of which all the hands have stopped as surely as time itself stopped in Borley. On the back of each one is again engraved his and the rector's name, next to the usual simple cross. I don't know whose dark black hair is curled in the velvet-covered locket which bears the inscription, Harry, 2nd of February, 1900. Harry's? His father's? His wife's? His lover's? Is she the unidentified woman who sits smiling a photograph that I found in the little hidden drawer in one of the several wooden boxes I acquired. Ooh. Excellent. Uh, I think you'll have fun with this. Uh, it sounds yeah. great. And yeah. that, um, yeah, the description of his collection of Borley. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's very uh, interesting. Yeah, it's about like, how he feels drawn to certain things and he doesn't really understand why, but he has to, like, do it. So he just felt like the pull of Borley Rectory. Well, I think we'll draw it to an end. I think so. I'm going to say thank you both for your drinks. They were brilliant. Thank you for having me. Your drink was delicious and classy. Jake, your drink (laughs) was also delicious but quite insane. (laughs) Um, Not classy. I I think that describes us well. Jake is delicious and insane. I'm I'm delicious and classy. Um, And I hope, listeners, I hope you enjoyed our take on Borley Rectory and yeah, come back next time. We're going to have more stories from Weird East Anglia. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.